It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. And today's show topic, you know, I was prepping for this show before I tell you what it is. It's about the F word, not the F word you're thinking of, a different F word. The F word is failure. And as I was prepping for the show, I was thinking, oh, I really wish I would have brought a guest on to talk about this because it would take the spotlight off of me and this to be completely vulnerable, authentic is exactly what I say the show is, is that this is one of my biggest challenges. And if you ask any entrepreneur or executive, this, this topic of failure, is one of the biggest challenges. And so we're gonna hit it head on today. We are gonna go into the three things that we get to change, the ways that we get to change our relationship with failure, three ways to change your relationship with failure. That's what I'm promising you today. I'm also promising you that I'm gonna be vulnerable and raw and real about what comes up around failure. Because like I said, this is one of my biggest challenges. And it's not that we don't have successes. So I've got plenty of successes. But as I've said in the last two weeks, is that when Albert Einstein, who who has a really cool story of failure, when he went up to teach a class, and when he wrote on the board, nine times one equals nine, nine times two equals 18. If you've heard the, the last two shows, you know I've referenced this and I'm going to do it again. He walks up to the board, he goes all the way up to nine times 10. Then in nine times 10, he writes nine times 10 equals 91. And the class, they were kind, but yet whispering, oh my gosh, he got it wrong. Ha 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 ha, nine times 10. That's an equal 91. And so we, where we focus our energy, it's not seeing the nine of the 10 answers he answered correctly, but one of them he answered incorrectly. Where do we put our focus? And what we see is that when we put our focus on the one that didn't work, we create more of what doesn't work. But when we put our focus on what does work, we create more of what does work. And so we get that logically, I'm there, I totally get that. The challenge is that we're naturally drawn to what doesn't work. Back in June, I did this episode on this show with neuroscientist who happens to be my dad, and he talked about our brain is wired to protect us, which means that we focus on what doesn't work. We focus on the nine times 10 equals 91, not the nine out of the 10, the 90% that we did. Now let's just look at Albert Einstein since we've been talking about him. Now, Albert Einstein has such a cool story. Albert Einstein didn't speak until he was four, nothing. Albert Einstein struggled through lots of different careers. His dad was in electrical engineering. So he assumed that that would be the path that he would go down, but that was not his path. He was an insurance salesman. He got fired from that job. He scrambled and he struggled to figure out where his place was. And then later in life, he made significant advancements in how we view quantum physics and science today. So Albert Einstein, by all means, when we look back on his life, we see success, but there were lots of failures along the way. Colonel Sanders, another one of my, just just blows my mind. Colonel Sanders, he had a lot of failures. Wasn't until he was 65 and he had $105 from a social security check in his bank account. And he went around 1,010 
times with his chicken recipe. And he said, who will buy my chicken recipe? Because he wanted to franchise his chicken recipe. He knew his chicken recipe was good, but he got rejected 1,009 times. I, I mean, can you even imagine that getting rejected 1,009 times? And finally, on time 1,010, someone agreed to get his, to franchise his recipe. And that's how KFC was born. But Colonel Sanders, he was 65 years old when that happened. Dr. Seuss. So we think of Dr. Seuss as this literary genius. The term nerd, I learned this the other day, the term nerd is actually a term that Dr. Seuss first used in one of his books. And now it's widely used today. So he single-handedly had one of the biggest impacts in literacy in the world. And yet he was going to get his doctorate in literature and he failed. He dropped out of school because he, he told him, you're never going to amount to anything. And then he wrote his very first book. And you know what? It got rejected 28 times, 28 times, but yet he kept going. And then there's Henry Ford. So I remember the famous story of Henry Ford where he says, you can have any color you want of a car, but it has to be black as long as it's black. But the reality is Henry Ford started his very first company and duh, 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 he failed. And so then he started another one and he had a dispute with his partners there. And he walked away from that company with just his name. That was it. The rights to his name. And then he went on to start Ford. And right before the show, I was listening to Jim Carrey. Maybe you've heard of him. I was listening to a commencement speech he gave in 2014 to the Maharishi School of Management. Now, I live in Iowa and the Maharishi School of Management is in Fairfield. So it's not very far away from here. And I got to listen to Jim Carrey talk. And when I listened to Jim Carrey talk, the thing about Jim Carrey, when he was 15, he knew his family couldn't pay the bills. So he decided to be a janitor. And then he said, I'm going to be a comedian. This is what I really want. He tried out different sets. He even went to his first gig and he got booed off the stage. So you hear him at this commencement speech and he says, I am the boundaries. I am the container. <laughs> He says, there is nowhere that you can, I have no limits because there's nowhere that I couldn't go because I've already been to the failure path. It doesn't work. So go look up that speech. It was incredible to hear him talk about this. But here's a guy who sees the humor in life and says, look, you know what, being serious, it didn't work. So now I'm going to go this way. And I look at J.K. Rowling. I read the Harry Potter series to my boys a lot. My first one, we read it over and over again. And I told him the first time we read through it, I said, when we get done reading the series, we'll go to Harry Potter world in Florida. Now I offered that to him in second grade. I thought it was going to take us like six years to read through all these books. It took us a year and a half. And then we went to Harry Potter world. It was great. Now I'm reading through it with my, the whole series with my second child. And with Andrew, my third child, we are just starting the first series, but the, the, the first book, the first book, Harry Potter, and the Sorcerer's Stone. It took JK Rowling seven years to write this book. Seven years. And then she went to all 12 of the major publishing houses and they all rejected her. And yet she persevered and she launched the Harry Potter series, which as you know now has become an amusement park off of Universal Studios, movies, wands, and we've got all kinds of Harry Potter stuff all over our house because it's made such an impression on really understanding that, that thinking creatively, creativity growth, imagination. Those are all really important parts of who we are. So JK Rowling didn't let those rejections stop her. 
Oprah, that's another one that when I think about Oprah and how Oprah grew up, she grew up in poverty to a single mom. She was physically, mentally, and sexually abused. She was pregnant at 14. She ended up losing that baby. And in her first job as a television reporter, she was fired saying that she was not meant to be on TV. Now, if you know anything about Oprah, I think she really proved that false which is just incredible to think about. Here's another one. And I've got all kinds. I've got two more I'm going to share with you today. But Robert Kawasaki. So he wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's a book I remember. There's actually a game about it too. When I was in college, I played that game. It was really, it was a fun game for me as an accounting and advertising major. I thought it was great. But what I didn't know about Robert is that his first two companies went bankrupt. Now here's a guy that's preaching about how to get your financial house in order. And he went bankrupt twice. Wow. Imagine what he had to go through to say, whew, I did that twice. Now I'm going to teach people on that. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. And the last one I want to share with you is Stephen King. Now, this one is just an incredible story. When I was younger, I was in middle school, went up to Maine for a family trip. We were staying with a friend of my mom's who had a lake house. And she, we, she took us out on this boat and she said, that's Stephen King's house. And it was this kind of eerie looking house, seemed very fitting, but I had these large windows and he would sit in that room with the windows and he'd look out on the lake and he would write his books. Well, his first book that he ever wrote was Carrie. He ended up throwing it in the trash because he just didn't believe in it. He thought it was trash. So he threw it there. His wife got it out and worked with him to submit it to publishing houses. He got 30 rejections. So here's a guy that decided to write, got 30 rejections. And now he's known as one of the top horror writers of all time. So all these people that I'm sharing with you, they've all had such setbacks. And just like Albert Einstein, when he went to the board and he said nine times one equals nine, nine times two is 18, nine times three is 27, all the way up to nine times 10 equals 91. These people that I'm talking about, they're nine times 10 equals 91. They had a lot of those. But they chose to say, that's not who I am. I am not failure. It's just something that I've experienced. And I'm going to focus on the things that are working. Again, something easily said, harder to do. In my own life, I've, I've had successes. I've had the nine times one equals nine, the nine times two 18. I've had the things that worked. I've had successful businesses. But I just closed on a business where I lost a million dollars. I was speaking to some high school students a few weeks ago, and I mentioned that because the time the business had closed about three hours prior to when I was speaking with them. And I said, the time is now 8 a.m. This business closed just a few hours ago. And they lost a million dollars. And I wish you could have seen their eyes. They were so big, like bulging out of their heads. A million dollars. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you lost a million dollars. And you're here talking to us. And I said, but here's the deal. I've had a lot of wins. I have, I've, I've had a lot of business successes. I have three incredible kids. I've got a wonderful relationship with my husband. I have a house. I have cars. I have a retirement account. I have great relationships with my parents and friends. These are the things that matter to me. The fact that I had one, one section of these 10 items that says I've lost a million dollars, is that the piece that I'm going to get hung up on? And I'll tell you in the spirit of raw vulnerability, authenticity, it is that some days I do. Some days I get hung up on that. Some days I say, oh, 
how can I be out there advising people when this has happened to me? And then I get to flip the conversation and say, because this is because this happened, I get to be out there talking to people. Because my story is not who I am. It's just what I've lived through. And just as Jim Carrey said in that 2014 commencement speech that things don't happen to you, they happen for you. I get to look at the things that I perceive as failures that way. Failure is, is such an interesting space because you really get to understand it. While failure can be considered setback, it also can be considered learning. I'll tell you what, I am a much better coach and advisor because I've been through the mess that I've been through. When I get up on stage and I speak, I have got so much content that I can pull in. It's not what should I speak about, it's which item am I going to call forward to speak about. When I'm standing in front of somebody and I can see exactly where they get to go and what gets to serve them, I can pull from this wide arsenal of, well, that didn't work and that didn't work and that didn't work. And I can pull it forward and use it as content. So understanding what that failure means to you is critical. Just as Colonel Sanders didn't stop, he said, I just haven't found the person that wants to franchise this chicken recipe yet, yet. And he committed in his mind that I'm gonna find it. It's just, I haven't found it yet. And he kept moving forward. And he had those days that he wanted to quit because we all have those days we wanna quit. But the thing that gets us going is having that rock solid vision, remembering why you started. And I'll tell you what, that can be really hard to do by yourself in an isolated environment. It's key to have somebody around you that understands your vision and that can hold your vision for you. That's what I do for a lot of people. Now I take it for granted. I say, well, I hold your vision. It doesn't seem that hard, but I realize that you can't always hold your vision for yourself. It's just like the torch. Sometimes somebody else gets to hold that torch. If you've ever seen birds fly in a V formation, it's the coolest thing. We think that the lead, the lead bird stays in the lead, but the reality is they don't. They only stay in the lead for about three seconds total. And then the lead bird flips to the back and they rotate up. And so everybody is constantly in motion because they realize that going to the lead, being the lead bird is exhausting. And if you're always the lead bird, you get tired. So sometimes you get to pass the torch to the person behind you to hold that vision for you while you go take a breath and then run back up to the front again. It doesn't mean you're not going to be in the front again. It means you're just taking a break. You're just breathing. And I think when we get into the roles of entrepreneurship or executive, when we're in some of these roles, we forget that there are other people that can hold the torch for us for just a little bit. And if there's nothing else that you take from the show today about failure, when those things happen, it's okay to have somebody else hold that torch for a few seconds so that you can go to the back, take a break, and then come back up refreshed. We're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about one of the other ways that we can shift our relationship with failure. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. I'll see you here in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. 
Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. And today, we're talking all about the three ways that you can change your relationship with failure. In this last segment, we talked about understanding failure. So when you look at these people, I just gave you a lot of examples of people that have had failure, but have chosen to look at it as an opportunity and to say, okay, I get it. Something didn't work, but lots of other things did. And so this is really introducing the second way that we get to change our relationship is the introduction of the concept of neutrality, which means that everything is neutral. It means that we assign meaning, but just know that that's us assigning it. So anything that happens, it's really, things don't come with judgment. I think about this, it, when I say I lost a million dollars, I could also say I invested a million dollars into my knowledge. Now, that's a lot of money to invest in a knowledge to me, but to somebody else, that may not be a lot of money. It's like a movie ticket. Hey, if I go to see a movie at the theater down the road, the theater down the road is a, is a 3D kind of IMAX, IMAX experience. And let's just say the ticket price on it is $12. And then I go a few hours away to another town and they have the exact same theater and that price is $20. Does that make their price expensive and my price cheap? Maybe, maybe not. It just means there's different prices. Doesn't mean that their movie is better than mine. It's the same movie. So the concept that we're all neutral. Now let's take this even further. So my husband had cancer a few years ago. So when, when we had cancer, when, when we were told that he had cancer, we both looked at that and said, okay, all right, he has cancer. The surgeon, when he told us that he had cancer, he says, do you hear what I'm saying? My husband, I said, yeah, we heard that, that you're saying that my husband has cancer. He says, most people, when they're in here and they hear that, they have a different reaction. Now, my husband and I have studied neutrality at that time, we knew that the cancer is just a, it, it's a thing that happens. Some people die from cancer. Some people have horrible experiences with cancer. I don't know many people that have great experiences with cancer, but, but it's a thing. And we looked at it and we said, well, a few years before cancer, my husband had histoplasmosis, which was something that we had no idea what it was. He was very sick before we even found out what it possibly could be. He went through this huge 
cardiothoracic surgery. We had a two-year-old and a four-month-old at the time. We really didn't know what was going on. There was not a lot of case history on this. The surgeons weren't quite sure when they said they were going to do this big surgery, what they were going to find or where they were going to, what they were going to do. We had no idea. And then right after we got through that experience, our youngest son, Andrew, was born. And that was crazy. We went from him being healthy in my belly to not healthy in the outside world. We went from him having pneumothoraxes and jaundice and high bilirubin levels and uh, double pneumothoraxes and everything that you could imagine. He went from being in the NICU to coming home for less than a day, not eating, going back, not being able to go into the NICU because once you come out, you can't go back in. Going into the PICU, having his entire body's worth of blood drawn out of him, and then the blood got lost. And we had to figure out where the blood was because we couldn't draw that much blood out of him again for a really long time, but we needed the results. And so we were figuring out where it was. Finally, we found the blood at Emory. They were able to do this, these draws, but they found out they needed a little more blood. He was born in October. It wasn't until March that we were able to draw all the blood out of his body to run these tests. And even then, what we found out was he's a carrier for galactosemia, which means nothing unless he's very sick. And perhaps then that takes over his body. Okay, these stories that I'm sharing you, that's crazy. That got us in a state of, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. So when a surgeon says to us, hey, uh, we have, there's cancer here, and this is something that we've treated time and time again, and it has a 90 plus percent cure rate, and this is how we're going to solve it, and we're going to start this process at this date, are you on board? Sure, I'll get on board with that. <laughs> that seems like a, a pretty standard process. Now, can we have emotions around it? Absolutely. That's okay. But think about the difference between that scenario and when my husband was incredibly sick. He actually, when he had what we think was histoplasmosis, I was told that if he was going to live, he probably would never talk again. If he was going to live, he'd probably never talk again. That scared the crap out of me. So when we're told that he has cancer, and that this is the process and that people have come before and had this and they've had very successful outcomes. And there's this process that we can use. And and yeah, it's going to suck. But here it is. We shouldn't have the emotion around it. OK, great. Sucks. So we have to do it. But all right, cool. We're in. Let's do it. Very different experience. Now, think about those two different experiences. So everything that happens is neutral. We assign the meaning to it. Now, I know that we have friends that were in the exact same situation with the exact same type of cancer. My husband had testicular cancer, and they didn't react that way. Now, I can't make somebody wrong for how they're reacting. It's okay. But we get to understand that every single event is neutral, and we are the ones that assign meaning to it. So when we're scared, we assign a different meaning to an event than when we're happy. But the key thing here is that every single event is neutral. Think about at work when somebody reacts because they didn't get business or how you react when you don't get the business that you wanted. You worked really hard and you didn't get it and you're mad about it. Or somebody else isn't mad and you don't understand and we say they just don't care because we're assigning meaning to events. We are meaning-making machines. As humans, we're meaning-making machines, which means we're constantly assigning emotion. And I'll give you a little secret, it's exhausting.
<laughs> to assign meaning like that because the reality is that events are neutral. The events that happen around us, they truly are neutral until we assign the meaning to them. Now let's even go one stage deeper here. This is like peeling back an onion. So think about the most horrific events you can think of. I think about the attacks on September 11th. Something very real to me. We just celebrated these here, here about a month ago here in the United States. I mean, celebrated the living, celebrated that it's been 20 years since that experience. When I think back on that event, I think of a horrific time. Think about where you were September 11th, 2001. I was in a college classroom and my teacher, my professor, he didn't show up for class. We, nobody knew what was going on. This before, we didn't have cell phones at the time. Oh, we had little flip phones, but there was no, there was no digital on it. We barely, we didn't have laptops. You would go to the library or to your dorm room or your apartment in order to interact with any sort of internet. So nobody knew, but our professor, he didn't show up. And pretty soon word got around campus. It said something happened. There's been a, a terrorist attack. We didn't know what this is. I was born in 1982, which means I don't have a lot of background. I wasn't around when President Kennedy was shot. I, I, didn't, I don't know that. My parents have experience in this area because they've been through some of these, these political climate. I don't have that. So I remember walking back into my dorm room, turning on the news on TV, and watching the second plane hit the Twin Towers. And I assigned the emotion to it of scared, fearful. And maybe you remember that. You remember what emotion you assigned to that. Now, here's the thing about neutrality. For us, for me, probably for you listening, that's horrible. It was an attack on our freedom, an attack on our nation. Yet if I traveled to another part of the world and I asked a person, what did you think of the attacks on America on September 11th, 2001? I could find somebody that would say, that was the greatest day of my life. That was the day when I turned on my TV or my radio and I saw that we established freedom. Now, I don't agree with that view by any means. But the thing is, events are neutral and we assign the meanings. We assign the meanings. So somebody else can look at the exact same event, the exact same experience that you're having and have a totally different view on it. And so when we look at failure... What I want you to take away from this is that where you view failure, somebody else views success. I stood up and gave a speech as an elf on Thursday. It was a lot of fun. Do you know what I produced out of that event? I don't know. I know I planted a lot of seeds, but I didn't have people calling me up afterwards and saying, Kathleen, come on this stage. I would have loved that. That would have been incredible. Come to my stage. Come talk to my people. Because I saw how you put it out there, how you were vulnerable. And, and maybe that'll happen. Who knows? But if I deem that as I didn't get a call right away, so I must be a failure. 
then I'm missing out on the big picture. Every event is neutral. What I learned was that there's a different technique that I can use to call forward opportunity. What I learned was that one of my friends that was there, a speaker friend, she used a tool that worked really well for her. And you know what? Guess how many leads she got? 20. Is she a better speaker than me? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Who knows? Again, that's subjective and neutral. But she called forward leads and I didn't, which means that I learned that. And now when I go present again, I can call forward those leads. It's beautiful. So I can look at it as a failure or I can look at it as a huge opportunity. Either one, it's a neutral event and I get to choose. And so when we talk about changing our relationship with failure, what I'm asking of you is to see how often you're picking to see it as failure. And what's the flip side of that? What's another way that we could work? When I'm coaching clients, a lot of times I'm saying, pause, what's another way to look at that? We're rewriting the script. We're saying if every event is neutral, you're assigning this meaning to it. What is another way to look at it? And oftentimes we can just spitball and hear what some of these other ways of looking at it are. And all of a sudden our meaning shifts. And it's not that something's a failure. It's that it's an opportunity. And so when we change our relationship with failure, it requires us to see events as neutral. Because events are just that. They're neutral. No one's out to get us. There is no national or international boogeyman who's going to come and say, Kathleen Reeson, you are destined for failure. It's only when I assign it. And so I'm committed to looking at things as neutral. And most of the time that works, but sometimes it doesn't. And that's why I have a great coach by my side that asks me these questions of, hmm, Kathleen, great story. How else could that look? Let's treat this as neutral. So that's a really key piece. So in the three steps to changing your relationship with neutral, the first one was understanding failure. Understanding failure, when you want to change your relationship with failure, you first get to understand it. And the second one was seeing every event around you as neutral. We are human machines. We sign a lot of meaning. We are meaning-making machines. And so when we see each event as neutral and we say, we're not going to make meaning over it. We're just going to see it as what it is. Another thing I hear people say a lot, they say, they get done with an experience. They say, that was really impactful. Maybe. That's always my response. Maybe. We won't know the impact for a while. Now, I can say it felt like a really impactful experience, but was it really impactful? That's the question. We are meaning-making machines. We want to feel successful. We don't want to be failure. We have all kinds of biases around failure. Failure is bad. Failure is wrong. Failure means we're never going to make money again. Failure means people are going to make fun of us. Those are just some of my biases, but think about that. What does failure mean to you? Because when you know that, then you can see that it's just your ego in the way, that every event is neutral. And we can assign our meaning to the garbage. 
Every event is neutral. We're going to go on a quick break. When we get back, we're going to continue the discussion, dig a layer deeper, bring out our third reason and third way to shift our relationship with failure. Enjoy this quick break. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show. Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. We have been covering today, for the last 30 minutes, the three reasons, the three ways that you can shift your relationship with failure. The first one was about understanding failure. The second one is about neutrality. And the third one, and this is one that just really hits home with me, is redefining what a win is. Redefining a win. So a lot of times when we're playing at the level that we're playing, we have really long-term goals. So improve this business unit, get land this speech, land this book deal, land it, whatever it is, it's a really big, long-term, hairy, audacious goal. Really big. So big that most people would never go after a goal like that. And yet we set it as our goals. And then we tell ourselves that until we hit the goal, we're not winning. Only hitting that goal will win. And if you're like me at all, sometimes that goal changes a million times. And it's like, it's this, but then it looks this way and then it looks this way. And so every time you get closer to it, it shifts a little bit. So redefining the win is one, being crystal clear what that looks like. Crystal clear, meaning I'm not going to change this goal. This is what the goal is and it's going to stay this way. Doesn't mean I can't change my mechanism, but this is what I'm, this is what I'm creating. And then recognizing that it's a journey. It's a journey, it's not a destination, which means that if my goal was launching my next book, which I get to do in 2022, if that's my goal, then a win might be writing the outline. A win might be writing the first chapter. A win might be writing the second chapter. A win might be writing the third chapter. A win might be the fourth chapter, the fifth chapter, the sixth chapter. A win might be getting all of the chapters completed. A win might be handing it to an editor. A win might be taking a day off and not writing and giving myself the space to breathe. A win might be going for a walk and seeing something and saying that would make a great entry into my book. A win might be standing on a stage and talking about the book. A win might be 
hosting Larry Long Jr., which we did last week on the show, and in him talking about his book and me saying, I want to review your book and getting content from other authors. That a win could look a million different ways. But when we only have one win, which is the ultimate really big win, that means that we are setting ourselves up for failure every single day until we get there. And what I know is that if we operate like that, we'll never get to the big win. Because every single day that you wake up and say, oh, today I'm setting myself up for failure because I'm not going to launch that book today. If that book's goal, if it's if you're meant to launch a book and you're not going to launch the book until February 1st of 2022, that means that every single day between now and February 1st, 2022, if you only have one win, then that means every other day is failures. And so what would a win look like today? Now, I was working with some high school students a few weeks ago, but I've worked with professionals and college students and all kinds of different groups. This is the high school students, a beautiful explanation of this. And I said to him, if you know what you want to accomplish, so what's your big goal? They all identified what their big goal was. I said, what can you do today to impact that goal? And I was super emphatic on the word today. What can you do today to get to that goal? And I thought, for sure, I am, I'm giving them the words of today. When they record what they're going to do today, it's going to be something that occurs between now and midnight tonight. That's today. I was very clear on what today meant. And so I thought that my intention was clear and asking them, what are you going to do today? I even went so far as to ask the other students, so, so a group of students, when I gave the directions, you have your goal, what can you do today to move you closer? I asked them to repeat what they heard me saying. And they said, you're going to write down what you can do today to get you closer to that goal. So I thought for sure that after I give the, gave these students a chance to work on this, that they would come back to me with something that they could do today between now and midnight that would impact their goal. So, okay, this is great. They, they got 10 minutes to work on it and they came back and you know what happened? None of them had a goal for today. It was like, if your goal is graduate in May of 2022, we would be like, uh, get an A in math by December or uh, complete my football season, you know, whatever it was. It had nothing to do with today. And I was blown away. I'm like, what? Oh, what did I say or do that did not land that it was today? So these students I'm working with them, again, this has happened with professionals, with college students, with high school students, everybody that I talk to, same thing has happened. I say, okay, pause. There is a breakdown in how I asked you to do this. I see that you're setting these goals, but they have nothing to do with today. So between now and midnight, what can you do today that can impact your goal? And I gave them more time. And then they came back and the same thing happened. They would say, well, by the end of the week, I can do this. Like, whoa, what am I not landing that today means today between now and midnight? And what I realized in that process was that so often we get caught up in the future of what could be, should be, will be, that we forget that we can make an impact today. So when I'm working with somebody that says, 
I want to sell my business or I want to get a new job or I want to get a job or I want to graduate from high school. It doesn't really matter what it is. But a lot of times the number one question that I get is, should I sell my business? We first say, what can we do today that's going to make a difference for you in getting to that goal? So like in this case with this high school students that I'm, I'm talking to them, and one of them said, I want to graduate from high school with a 3.7 GPA. When we looked at the current GPA, it was 3.5. And she finally, after really drilling down, she goes, oh, I could study for my algebra test tomorrow. That's what I could do today to improve my grade in algebra, which will lead to higher GPA. Study today. Now, that seems so simple when we think, oh, you mean just answer like studying? Yes. But that's a win. So instead of saying graduating from high school, that's our win. That's the only win. And until then we failed, we say, mm, in order to graduate, I get to have higher grades. I get to improve my grades. In order to improve my grades, I get to study. In order to study, I get to have the books. If I don't have the books, in order to, to get to graduate, I get to buy the books. In some cases, that could be the answer. The win is that I go to the bookstore and I buy the books or I order the books or whatever that looks like. But you guys, these students that I was working with, these professionals, these college students, these people that are in front of me, they're not dumb. They're really smart people. But what happens is we get in our own head. We get in our own head and we forget that there's things that we can do in this moment today to impact our future. And so my job is to say, okay, focus today. Today is the moment. The presence, your present here is the presence. When we think about the past, that depression is, is really being attached to the, the past. Anxiety is being really focused on the future. So you see a lot of people that if you have anxiety, it's really discomfort with the future. And one of the things is to be present. You may have heard that, be present. Because the present, your, your presence in the present is the gift. So when I say, what can you do today that impacts your future? That's the win. And for me, again, as somebody who has really big goals into the future, it can be hard to identify what I can do today. I see three, five, 10, 15, 20 years out into the future. But can I see today what gets to happen? Sometimes no, that's my stretch. When I say redefining a win, I mean, focus on not what's going to happen three years, five years, 10 years down the road, hold that vision, but no, what do I get to do today? That's going to move me closer to that vision. What's going to happen today in this moment? What I see happen is when we get caught up, we get out of step and oftentimes we are filled with failure, thoughts of failure. We're not seeing all the good that's happening around us. We're not seeing all the great things that are happening around us. In Albert Einstein's example, with nine times one, nine times two, nine times three, we're looking at the nine times 10 equals 91, and we're missing out that 90% of those math problems we got correct. We're only focusing on what's not working. And so these are three critical questions that I know I've shared these before, but I want you to write these down, commit them to memory. There's always something that's working always something that's working. It may be hard to find some days, but it's there. It may be just that I got up out of bed today and that's what's working, but there's always something that's working. 
there may be something that's not working. It's human nature to first go to not working. That's how our brains are wired. But focus on what's not working. Be specific. What's working? What's not working? And then the third one is what's in the gap? What's missing? So if where I want to go, what's missing? You can ask that question as what can I do today that's going to impact my future and set me up? So here's the questions. What's working? What's not working? What's in the gap? What can I do today that's going to get me closer to where I want to go? And so when I think about failure, that's where I train my mind to go. I ask myself, what's working? Again, some days it may just be that I got up out of bed. Yay. I had a radio show. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I got to talk with people. You know, people ask me about radio and they say, what do you think about radio? Now, I know that this show also goes to podcasts. It also goes to TV. You may be watching it in lots of different ways. But I have people say, how do you enjoy the audience interaction? That makes me smile because in radio and podcasts and TV, there's not a lot of audience interaction. Now, sometimes I have guests on this show. And so we have guest interaction. But sometimes it's just me. Like today, it's just me talking out into the world, knowing that I get to land my message with somebody that's not giving feedback to me. I don't have eyes to look at. I can't give eye contact to my audience. I don't have verbal cues coming back at me. I get to trust that the words that I'm putting out into the world will resonate with somebody. So the win isn't the feedback that I'm getting back. It's that I landed my message. And when I'm waiting for feedback, it doesn't work. So what's working? That I showed up and did it. What's not working is that I get to get feedback. I could ask people for feedback. I have a producer on this show. I could go ask for feedback if that was what was important. What's missing is me. I'm in my own way if that was what was important. So people ask me all the time, how's live radio? And I say, it's great, but it's a learning curve. It's very different than standing on a stage where you've got an audience that you can look at and receive that feedback and tailor your message based on how they're getting it. That is not live radio. And if that's what's important to you, don't do radio. Don't do TV because you don't have that. And so there's always something that's working, something that's not working and something that gets to change. But if I said that I was going to host this show and the only way that I would measure its success was based on the feedback that I received right after the show. Well, gosh, this would be an utter failure. I mean, like a, if you could see me right now, two thumbs down, would be a failure. But I get to redefine my win. I get to say that my win is that I landed my message. So think about that for you. How would redefining your win affect your relationship with failure? We're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to wrap all of this up. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. I'll see you here in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. 
Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. And today we've been talking all about the three ways that you can shift your relationship with failure. First, it starts with, uh, with understanding failure, with understanding that this is a normal process and how you see failure is exactly that. It's how you see failure. It doesn't mean that's how somebody else sees failure. There are lots of people that have, by society's measures, failed over and over and over again. And my question for you, is your vision strong enough to carry you through failure? What do you want more? Number two way to shift your relationship with failure is neutrality. Understanding that every event around you is neutral. We are human making, we are meaning making machines as human beings, meaning making machines. And so we get to decide what's another way to interpret and experience because somebody else is having the exact same experience and it's not that big of a deal for them. It's just not. Think about my experience with my husband's cancer. It was just, it, while it was a big deal, it, it really wasn't a big deal. We didn't handle it as stressed and crying and the end of the world that it could have been because we'd been through some pretty crazy times before that. But yet somebody else has delivered that exact same news at that exact same moment and it they handle it very differently. Doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means that we get to decide how we want to handle things. We get to decide what meaning we want to make of a certain event. When you're at work and something happens, are you freaking out or are you calm? We are meaning making machines. So anytime that you get into a sense of failure, and that's all it is, a sense, when you get into a sense of failure, understand that it's about what you're meaning, what you're making it mean. And could it possibly mean something else? And then we get into redefining a win. This is number three in changing your relationship with failure. Redefining a win. When we have really long-term goals, make sure that you've got shorter goals in that process. Make sure that you're asking yourself what's working, what's not working, and what's in the gap? What gets to change today? Emphasis on today, big stars around today. When I say today, I mean between now and midnight, what gets to change to get you closer to your goal? Such a cool experience, you guys, when we can change our relationship with failure. And again, in the spirit of honesty and vulnerability, this is something that I'm working on. It's something that I've worked on for a really long time and will continue to work on because failure runs deep for me. I don't want to fail, but I realize that if I want to play big, it is a step in the process. It's something that's going to happen. Some things are going to work out the way I want them and some things aren't. And that's okay. Take it from somebody who's lost over, well over a million dollars. It's not the end of the world. Not that big of a deal. It's okay. We'll figure it out. What's the problem is when we start, stop being creative. If I let that get in my way, that would be the problem. So my invitation to you is redefine how you're looking at failure. Redefine it so that it's not holding you back. Redefine it and continue to do this because this is not a one-time process. It's something that you get to keep doing over and over and over again. Because for those of us that think of failure as something that's bad, that's our story. And that's something that's going to be around with us for a while. And we get to remember that it's okay. Oftentimes we hold our failures 
for a really long time, like forever. We take them to our grave and no one else even remembers it. Now, I remember a story I'm going to share with you real quick. My mom's dead, so I can say this. She, she could haunt me, but that's about it. When she was in kindergarten, it's one of my favorite stories of her. She would, if she was here right now, she'd say, Kathleen, I can't believe you're sharing this on, on your show. But of course I am. She was in kindergarten and it's one of the first few weeks of school. She's, they're running around in their gym in circles. And my mom really has to go to the bathroom, but she didn't want to leave the, the gym to go to the bathroom. And so she peed her pants. She's wearing a dress in gym. This is like the 50s. She's wearing this dress in gym. She pees her pants. And this lady, this girl, Becky, she runs behind my mom and she slips and falls in the pee. And for the rest of her school career, Becky is known as Becky P. Pants. Now, my mom never once corrected that. She never once said, oops, it was me. And I, I want to say she felt bad about it. I don't know. That part never came out. But Becky P. Pants, I'm sure thought of that as a failure. And perhaps my mom did at some point. But I share that with you because everything is neutral. There's a lesson in there for my mom and there's a lesson in there for Becky, for Becky P. Pants. Did Becky stand up for herself? I don't know. I wasn't there. But I'm. it makes me smile because I think about that and how long we carry stuff with us. And really, maybe Becky's not even thinking about that anymore. Maybe she is. But what I know to be true is that when my mom was on her deathbed, she didn't share the Becky P. Pants story. It wasn't something that she, she kept on her heart as something where she thought, oh, that was, I'm such a failure. I did that. We get to release these things. We get to have fun. We get to have joy and we get to redefine our relationship with failure. So that's a funny way of looking at it, but it's a way to look at it. So change your relationship with failure and you ultimately can create whatever you want because failure is one of the biggest things that holds us back. Now, I show up every single Monday on this show. I sure appreciate you listening. Next week, I have an incredible guest coming. His name is Steve Simonon. He is the CEO of Iowa Specialty Hospital. He's been a client of mine. And one of the things that I think is so cool about what they're up to is that they run a rural hospital, a rural hospital system, two hospitals, actually. And a few years ago, they said hospital systems are dying, we're losing revenue, and in order to keep critical access in these rural hospitals, we have to look at business differently. And so what they did was they created all these programs, like a bariatric program, and they said, we are going to pull people from metropolitan areas around, so people are going to drive two, three, four, five hours to come to our rural hospital, and guess what? They did it. Such a cool story. They roll out the red carpet. People are in line waiting lists to come to their hospitals for these surgeries, these elective surgeries. So it's a really cool story. And Steve's going to be here to talk about it next week. So my wish for you is to have a wonderful week. Change your relationship with failure. Know that there's three ways that you can do that. Understand your failure, being neutral, and redefining your wins. If you have any questions, reach out to me. I would love to talk with you. Thank you so much for being a part of this show with me. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.